Welcome to His Word Heals. Today's program is the audio of the first half of our new video. To watch the entire video, go to www.hiswordheals.com and click on our blog page. Today's message is what we hope will be the last message in our calendar series, but it may be the most interesting one as well. Today we'll show you an ancient 1000 BCE clay lunisolar geezer calendar tablet written in Paleo-Hebrew and found just west of Jerusalem. 1000 BCE, that's before the Qumran calendar and most importantly before the Babylonian exile. Then we'll show you the modern Hank Henry proposed replacement world or international calendar, which was also proposed to be called the Trump calendar. Yes, that's right. Donald Trump may yet get a reformed world international calendar named after him, which coincidentally or not is eerily similar, actually almost exactly the same as the Dead Sea Scrolls 364 day solar only Zadokite calendar. Then we'll also take a look at the Jewish mystic Kabbalah scholar, Rachel Elior, a big influencer with regards to the Dead Sea Scrolls calendar, and the Christian mystic channeler Edgar Cayce, who channeled and elevated the Essenes even before the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Along with his predecessor, Madame Helen Blavatsky, both of them are purveyors of, or were, purveyors of mysticism and theosophy. And Elizabeth Clare Prophet, who was a self-professed channeler of Michael the Archangel and channeled a prayer that General Flynn also prayed at at least one of Pastor Hank Kuhneman Take Back America event. All a coincidence? You decide. So stay tuned all the way to the end of this message as we'll connect a lot of dots that may point to a soon-coming great deception that if it were possible, even the very elect could be deceived. If you haven't listened to our first two messages on this subject, please do so, as we will not be repeating ourselves here, and there's a lot of scriptural proof to support the traditional Hebrew lunisolar calendar over the solar-only Dead Sea Scrolls calendar. You can listen to those two previous programs on our blog page at www.hiswordheals.com forward slash blog. First, I do want to stress that I have started to read some of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they are quite interesting, as is the fact that the entire biblical canon is represented there, even including Esther, which they originally thought was not. We will touch briefly on that as well. But just because scripture and other extra-biblical texts that support scripture are found among the Dead Sea Scrolls doesn't mean that everything found there is biblical, nor does it mean it all came from the same group. Our test should always be, does it support scripture and lead you to our Messiah, or contradict scripture and lead us away from our Messiah? That said, let's start with what we found to be another super strong witness for the lunisolar calendar predating the Babylonian exile as well as the Dead Sea Scrolls calendar. Here we have a short article at World History Encyclopedia, which is worldhistory.org. It talks about the Geezer calendar and it has a very good picture of it, but we're going to read a more detailed description of it on Wikipedia, believe it or not. It says the Geezer calendar is a small limestone tablet with an early Canaanite inscription, meaning Paleo-Hebrew, discovered in 1908 by Irish archaeologist 
in the ancient city of Gezer, 20 miles west of Jerusalem. It is commonly dated to the 10th century BCE, that's 1000 BCE, although the excavation was unstratified and its identification during the excavations was not in a secure archaeological context, presenting uncertainty around the dating. However, it's obviously very old, but they do believe it is around 1000 BC, and even if it's not exactly back to 1000 BC, it's definitely older than the Babylonian exile. Scholars are divided as to whether the language is Phoenician or Hebrew, and whether the script is Phoenician or Pro-Canaanite or Paleo-Hebrew. Kohler argued that the language is Northern Hebrew. Looks like Hebrew to me. There's the inscription in Paleo-Hebrew, and here's the inscription in Modern Hebrew, so that we can look at the words here in Hebrew. And as you can see, right here is the word Yurak. Here, 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 here. And we'll take a close-up look at these, but the word Yurak is on every line. And the word Yurak, as we studied in our earlier messages, is the word moon. So what is the English translation? Two months gathering, and so that should say actually two moons gathering, two moons planting, two moons late sowing, one moon cutting flax, one moon reaping barley, one moon reaping and measuring grain, two moons pruning, one moon summer fruit. So this very old ancient calendar is equating the moons with months because here it does not use the word Kodesh for months. It uses moon, Yurak. So if this clay tablet is from 1000 BC, let's see what was going on in Gezer in Israel at 1000 BC. Solomon City, moving into the Iron Age of 1200 to 586 BC, which is uh, the 500 or 600 years or so just before the Babylonian exile, we find more direct connections between Tel Gezer and the biblical text. According to 1 Kings 9, 16 and 17, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and captured Gezer and burned it down, had killed the Canaanites who lived in that city, and had given its dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. So Solomon rebuilt Gezer. While the historical details of this passage are debated, many excavations and studies have focused their attention on this period. So Gezer was a city that was destroyed by Pharaoh and rebuilt by Solomon at about the time and existed at about the time that this clay tablet was written. Scrolling back up, we'll see a picture. Here's Jerusalem. Here's Gezer. It's about 20 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And 1000 BC was still under the reign of King Solomon, but it was when the northern and southern kingdoms were still united. That is where this tablet came from and the time period that this tablet clearly associates the moon with months. So there you have an ancient 1000 BC clay tablet calendar which denotes the months as being associated with the moon. Now let's look at the 2,000-year-old Dead Sea Scroll from the 1st or 2nd century BCE, 800 years later, that was just recently deciphered and is called the Calendar Scroll and is what everyone is basing the Zadokite calendar on, that and some writings in Enoch 
and Jubilees, even though Enoch and Jubilee calendars are not exactly the same. This article is at timesofisrael.com, and we're going to just take a look at what this calendar scroll actually looks like. From 100 to 200 BCE, 800 years after the tablet that we just looked at that does associate the moon with the months, this solar calendar was written in encrypted ancient Hebrew, and it was one of the last unpublished Dead Sea Scrolls, and it has finally been deciphered, they say. The almost impossible year-long mission was like putting together a jigsaw puzzle without knowing what the picture was. So let's scroll down and see what her final picture looked like once she put these little 60 little fragments together. There you go. Right there. Missing a whole lot of the scroll. It says the scroll's dark brown parchment fragments ranged in size from 3.9 centimeters by 2.8 centimeters for the largest fragment to numerous small pieces no larger than 1.5 centimeters by 1.5 centimeters. So this is what the Zadokite calendar is based upon, that along with the Book of Jubilees and the Book of Enoch, but we have no support in actual scripture for a solar-only calendar. Now this I just wanted to touch on really quick. The newly deciphered Qumran scroll revealed to be the Megillat Esther. And so this discovery upends decades of research addressing the question of why the Book of Esther is missing from the Qumran. This one was the last Dead Sea Scroll to be deciphered. And what I found interesting about this, um, it was a scroll that had wine spilled on it, and so they weren't able to read it until they had some technological breakthroughs. The first breakthrough was that chemists found that the wine could be extracted from the parchment using highly delicate process known as a little bit of seltzer. And then the second technological breakthrough they found that microdoses of certain psychedelic mushrooms allowed the researchers to read and interpret otherwise unreadable ancient texts. Hmm. I'll leave that one at that. I'm not a big fan of National Geographic. I just want to look at this article, though, to look at an updated timeline of when they believe the Dead Sea Scrolls were written and accumulated in Qumran. So we're going to scroll down to the pertinent part here. Modern scientific testing has added to the debate. In recent years, the scrolls have also been analyzed by linguistic experts who propose the date range from 225 B.C. to A.D. 50 based on the style of writing as well as the size and variability of the characters. This appears to roughly match the later carbon dating of the inks, which were made of carbon soot from oil lamps mixed with olive oil and honey water. These tests produced a date range from between 385 B.C. and A.D. 80, or 80 of the Common Era, which would have been after the destruction of the Second Temple, which would extend the origins of the Dead Sea Scrolls well beyond the estimated occupation of the Qumran settlement. So it is possible that some of the scrolls were as early as 385 BC and as late as 10 years after the destruction of the Second Temple. With that in mind, let's look at where Qumran sits with relation to Jerusalem. Here's Jerusalem, here's Qumran, and here's the wilderness of Judea. So Qumran is in the wilderness of Judea, or the mountains of Judea. Is there scriptural support that possibly at the destruction of the second temple, those that were in Jerusalem that were aware of what was coming 
would flee into the area of Qumran, into the wilderness of Judea? Let's read a few New Testament scriptures. Matthew 25, 15 and 16. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whosoever reads, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Revelation 12, 5 and 6. And she brought forth a man child, Yeshua, she being Israel, who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron, and her child was caught up to Elohim. He was resurrected and ascended on high and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of Elohim that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. Could they, back in those days, have related both of these scriptures to themselves when they saw Jerusalem surrounded by the Roman army for the destruction of the second temple? Luke 21, 20 and 21 says, And when you shall see, this is a warning from Yeshua himself, and when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter into Jerusalem. And so all of these are warnings that there would be a time when they would need to flee from Jerusalem. I believe that time is coming again. As we know, Hebrew prophecy is circular. And so uh, there is a fulfillment back then, and I believe a fulfillment at the end as well, just before his millennial kingdom. But they would have been looking at this in their time saying, okay, it's time to flee. They would have been ready to go. And there were believers in the temple. There were some priests and some Pharisees that did believe, we're told in Scripture. And so did they take the Jerusalem or the temple library with them into the wilderness of Judea and hide them in the caves at Qumran? Is that where a lot of this came from? And remember, this would have been a library. So that doesn't mean that everything in there is biblical or scriptural or correct, but this would have been their reading material, including all of the actual scripture that late, later on was canonized, as well as other commentary and other scrolls. Qumran is certainly in the area, the mountains or wilderness of Judea, where they were told to flee. Here's another look at the Qumran area with the caves. Here's Qumran. Jerusalem we saw was over here. And Cave 4 is where all of the canonized scriptures were found. All of the books of the Bible were found in Cave 4, and so was the calendar scroll. So this definitely, and, and many, many, many other scrolls, a lot of commentary scrolls, lots of extra biblical scrolls as well. So this definitely could have been the Jerusalem library. It's very possible. As you can see, the caves are all spread out. I think they're the furthest apart ones are almost two miles apart. Cave 11 is over here. So certainly some of the scrolls found in this area could have been from the temple and some could have been from others that wrote scrolls, including Essenes or Samaritans or whomever. Doesn't mean that all of these scrolls that were found in the desert all belong to the same people. This article tells us that the calendar scroll was found in cave four of Qumran. That's what this number four is. And then here is the contents of cave four. 
We can see all of these books. This was the big treasure chest of books. Every book in the Bible was in there, except for Esther. I don't know if that's where they found the book that they finally translated to be Esther recently or not. But as you can see, there's a lot of other books as well. This is just one huge library and just one of the little bitty scrolls, 60 fragments, was the calendar scroll. The list goes on. So this definitely could have been the temple library. One interesting thing I see here, I clicked on this article, Who Was He? Rare Dead Sea Scrolls Text Mentions King Jonathan. So I clicked on that. Here's the article. Who Was He? King Jonathan. King Jonathan was praised in scroll 4Q448, which means it was in cave 4. In this article, it tells you that it, this little tiny scroll consisted of three columns of writing. This Jonathan is referred to as king both in line 2 of column B and line 8 of column C column C, the attitude toward Jonathan is obviously positive in this scroll. He is referred to as Melech or king. If he was not thought of positively by the writer, he would have just been called ruler. The reference to Jonathan as king reflects a friendly, approving attitude. In column C, the author thanks God for helping King Jonathan in a time of war. The article says the only ruler who can be identified as King Jonathan is Alexander Janaeus, a member of the Hasmonean dynasty who reigned between 103 and 76 BCE. So this would have been praise of a Hasmonean king. And a lot of the argument for these being the Zadokite priests who left during the Hasmonean dynasty was because they disagreed with the Hasmonean kings and priests and all of that. But this was also found in cave four, along with the calendar scroll and all of the other biblical scrolls and everything. And this one praised King Jonathan. Down here, the author of this article rightly says, the friendly attitude in this text towards Alexander Janaeus, King Jonathan of the Hasmonean dynasty, raises a question about the nature of the entire Qumran library. The Qumran community left Jerusalem, I say supposedly, for the desert because it opposed the Hasmonean government. That is the popular theory. And the priesthood. Alexander Janaeus was a Hasmonean king. So what is a prayer? This is what I would ask too, but they're asking, what is a prayer for the welfare of a Hasmonean king doing in the library of Qumran community if they were actually Zadokite priests? I'm adding this part. If they were actually Zadokite priests that left Jerusalem because of the corrupt Hasmonean dynasty, why was this scroll in the same cave along with all of the biblical texts and all of the extra biblical texts, including the calendar scroll. Again, that's another clue, if you ask me, that this was probably the temple library in cave four. Now let's take a look at the Jewish calendar, is what it's called here in this article, in Jubilees. Here it is right here, months one, four, seven, and 10 all have 30 days. Months two, five, eight, and 11 have 30 days. And months three, six, nine, and 12 have 31 days. And so if you add up all of these days, you've got two 30-day months followed by a 31-day month, 
two more 30-day months and a 31-day months, and so on. You've got that four times for the four seasons. That's a total of 364 days. This article at the Torah.com is good reading, and it tells about the disagreement between the calendars that we can see in the Book of Jubilees. And interestingly, Jubilees was found in K4, I believe, along with all of the other canonized books. So there was a debate about the calendar by the writer of Jubilees. And Enoch also has a different calendar, but it doesn't match the calendar in Jubilees. Not exactly. It's a form of a solar calendar, but it's not the same calendar as the one in Jubilees and the one supposedly found in the Dead Sea Scroll calendar scroll. So many of you are probably familiar with what the Zadokite calendar looks like. All of the feast days fall on the same day every year. The first day of each year, Nisan 1 is what we would call it, but the first day of the first month is always on a Wednesday. And so everything is the same. There has to be a way, though, to add one and one quarter days every year in order to make the year match up with a true solar year. And there is no record anywhere in the scrolls or in Jubilees of how to add the extra day and a quarter back in so that the so that over decades of time, the feast days stay in the correct season. However, there are a couple different theories. One is add a day every so often, but that would mess up your calendar because this calendar keeps the same feasts on the same day of the week every year. So the only way you could really do it would be to add a whole seven-day week every five or six years so that the Feast of Trumpets would always be on the same day of the week and Passover would always be on a Tuesday, as you can see right here. Passover would always be on the 14th, the evening of the 14th. That would be on a Tuesday. The first day of unleavened bread would always be on the 15th on a Wednesday. This is for month one. And so it's interesting to note, too, I wanted to point out that we know that it makes sense that Yeshua would have been the Passover lamb, so he would have been sacrificed on the 14th when the lamb would have been sacrificed. That would have been the 14th of Nisan. He died in the evening, so he would have been in the ground three days and three nights. So if he was put in the tomb the evening of Wednesday, Wednesday night would have been one night, Thursday night, two nights, Friday night, three nights, Thursday day, one day, Friday day, two days, Saturday day, three days. He would have resurrected at the end of Shabbat after Shabbat was over on Saturday evening and that would have been a total of three days and three nights, just as he said, which means that he had to be crucified on the 14th of Nisan on a Wednesday. However, the Dead Sea Scroll calendar puts the 14th of Nisan on a Tuesday, which does make sense, I will admit, for the Last Supper, which they ate on a Tuesday, the day before the Passover when he was crucified. However, then, according to this Dead Sea Scroll calendar, he would have been crucified on Wednesday, which would have been the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, according to the Dead Sea Scroll calendar. But he allowed himself to be sacrificed on the day, the 14th of Nisan, when the temple priests were also sacrificing the Passover lamb. 
So for him to be the Passover lamb, he was sacrificed on the day that they were using as Passover in the temple, and he never made a peep about it being the wrong calendar. So I don't believe that it was. I believe the Last Supper was their private Passover dinner, just like sometimes we have community Passovers where we invite lots of people before Passover to teach them about Passover. But then we have, many of us, have our private own family Passover in our homes. So they certainly could have had Passovers with their students, and then the students would actually have Passover on the day of Passover at home with their families. So it would have made sense for Yeshua and his disciples to eat the Passover meal the day before Passover, and then the disciples would have been planning to go home and eat with their families and teach their children, whoever had children, about the Passover on the actual day of Passover, the 14th, which would have been a Wednesday when Yeshua was crucified. We're all out of time today, but if you'd like to watch the entire video, go to hiswordheals.com forward slash B-L-O-G. His kingdom's drawing near, this is our time to arrive.